Good morning, Mercy Road. How you doing? You look good. Uh, thanks for braving the weather, the parking lot, the crazy lobby out there, checking your kids in. Man, I'm going to tell you, I've been getting a little feisty this morning. It's been kind of fun. Uh, my goal is not to be antagonistic in any way, shape, or form, but to encourage and spur us on during a key time in our season as a church. And I, somebody's been preaching long this morning. And so we're going to do our best to get right to it. Will you put your hands together and welcome those who are attending online? Glad that you're here and hope you connect with God right where you're at, uh, wherever you're at spiritually. If you have a Bible, power it on or open the one in your book rack to Ephesians chapter 3, beginning in verse 14, as we finish off a four-week teaching series called Compassion. We've been talking about what it looks like to not just have passion for ourselves and our relationship with God, but to also have compassion for others. I don't know if you know this, the word compassion in the Latin, it means suffering. That's why we call it the passion of the Christ, that you're willing to suffer, uh, that he was willing to do that. And compassion actually means to suffer with or for someone else. That at the heart of what we're going to share today, and I I shared this online ahead of time, I'm going to get real this morning. Uh, It's going to be a little different, and I'm going to talk about how to move from passion for Christ in your life to allowing him to use you to demonstrate compassion to others. Will you turn to the person on your right and your left? I won't do this next week, I promise. Say, next week it won't be like this. Will you do that real quick? On your right and your left, next week, it's not going to be like this, because it's going to be getting intense up in here. I, I want to give you a background on Ephesians. So Paul writes the letter to the Ephesians. It's, it's most likely the last letter that we have in the New Testament that Paul wrote. If you're new to the Bible, Paul at one time had overseen the killing in Christians. He encounters Jesus, has his life changed, starts churches all over the Roman Empire, writes a lot of the New Testament that he wrote letters to the churches that he started. And one of those churches was in Ephesus. If you're not familiar with Ephesus, they were pretty far from God. They worshiped this goddess Artemis. She was the fertility goddess. You can imagine the ways you worshiped her. It was not the kind of thing we talk about in church. This was a really pagan society. I know you think people are far from God in our culture today. You should have seen uh, Corinth and you should have seen Ephesus. And Paul went in there and preached the good news of Jesus, started a church there, and it eventually, even though he was run out of town, it becomes one of the fastest growing churches in the Roman Empire and in the early church. In fact, it will grow so quickly, he will send his protege, the disciple Timothy, to go, and he will be there leading the church for a number of years. And Paul will write letters to Timothy while he's there. And when he eventually ends up, Paul eventually ends up on house arrest in Rome, he writes this letter to the church in Ephesus. Are you ready to study God's word, church? Come on now, here we go. Ephesians 3, verse 14. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, Paul writes. He's about to recite a really famous prayer. And the first thing he does in an act of submission, he says, I kneel before the Father. Some of us today, my desire would be by the end of this that we might get in that type of posture for him, that we would end the way he begins. Verse 15, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people 
to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. His love and compassion for you and his creation is far greater than any of us have experienced. In fact, we can't even fathom it, Paul goes on to say. Verse 19, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the full measure of the fu- all the fullness of God. Now to him, him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. What I'd like to talk about is if you came in here and in any way, shape, or form, as we're praying and fasting for 40 days, and we're on day 28, and if you haven't started, it's not too late, that you would begin to think about how could I change my spiritual outlook to be more like I see represented in the New Testament, particularly the early church, like Paul writes to here. Will you pray with me? God, we've all come in here with different backgrounds spiritually. We believe, God, that no one is too far from Jesus to experience life change through you, that the church today should be a hospital for sinners, not a museum for saints. So if somebody came in today and they were just uncomfortable coming in a place like this, we started this church for people just like that. God, for those of us that have been Christians for decades, may some of us grow out of our spiritual ruts this morning to grow closer to you, to sacrifice for others to have greater compassion in our lives. We love you and we praise you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Amen. I love verse 17 where Paul tells the church in Ephesus, like you gotta have Christ dwell in you. And that's really the main point we're gonna get to. But look at verse 16 with me first. Because it says before Christ can fully dwell in you that we have to experience verse 16. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. Now, verse 17 gets to Christ dwelling in you, but it starts in 16 with first the spirit wants to make some room for him. Now, I've ministered to a lot of people far from God for decades. I've seen people come out of massive sexual sins and relationship issues and financial disasters and marriages that were long gone be healed. Divorces lead to them reuniting and putting Christ at the center. I believe that God, as we will get to eventually, could do immeasurably more in our life. But I have also seen that often what happens long before anybody comes to a service like this, that the Spirit of God has been working on you, preparing you. And some of us that have been Christians a long time, I'm not necessarily talking about Christ dwelling in you for salvation purposes, but relinquishing control in areas of your life that are so easy for us to hold on to. That it only happens when we allow the Spirit of God to do what it says there, to bring power and speak into what? Our inner being. Our inner being. Our soul. He wants to begin to minister to make some room for what God wants to do in your life. Do we have any real estate agents here today that are willing to raise your hand? Uh, we'll give you free advertising if you, no, just kidding, we won't do that. But anybody, any real estate agents? Okay, th- uh, thank you, an honest person. Uh, I'll tell you, uh, my wife and I, we've been praying about like what to do with these compassion dinners coming up. And, you know, we're, we're living through the same thing that you're living through, which is like, okay, Lord, what would you have us do? And we've been trying to pray, God, we don't ever want to get so comfortable in our lives. And 
We've been lucky to have an amazing church for the last seven years and to have an amazing experience. And now it's this next season where it's like, okay, God, use this even more. And so we're talking about, well, should we like sell our house and downsize and do something with that to be able to give more away? What what would that look like for us? I don't know if we're going to do that or not, but I was online uh, a couple of days ago and my six-year-old daughter saw me looking at houses online. And she was like, dad, uh, are we going to move again? Because we just moved like less than two years ago, you know, kind of uproot the kids from their school and make some changes. And she, she's like, are, you, are we going to move again? And I gave the typical parent answer and just straight up lied to her face. I said, no, no, we're not, no, not going to move. I don't, the truth is, we don't know. We may not move, but we don't know what's going to happen. And she, she was like, dad, I don't want to move. Like, that's hard. It changes some things in our lives. And I realized, you know, the problem with moving so often is that you have to change some things, isn't it? And when you change some things, it's not easy, it's hard. And the truth is, if you ever move, you got to go find a good real estate agent because they know how to get more value for your home, right? That's why you give them that big commission check because you're going to get more money in return because you're going to be able to sell your house. And the first thing that real estate agent does, you have hired an expert to come into your home. And when they come to your home, what is the first thing they do? They start telling you everything that's wrong with your house. And then what do they do next? They say, we're going to have to get in someone in here to do what? To stage your home. Have you not sold a house before? They're going to get an expert to come in to stage your home. And and you're like, I don't need to stage my home. My home is staged just the way I like it. Can't you see it like that couch grandma gave us? And we got, look at that beautiful ottoman. And I I look at that. I love our family photo. So large and large painted on the wall. Can't you see? I made the highlight, the TV. This is a great room. And they come in and say, uh, yeah, but like you got that chair is like a modern style. And then you got like this uh, like classic couch and you got like the farmhouse thing going on. You've been watching too much Chip and Joanna. <laughs> and like, I know it makes sense to you with your eclectic taste, but the next owners of this home don't want to live in it. And the truth is, what this passage, what Paul is communicating to the church in Ephesus is we want to really experience the love and compassion of Christ and to live it out in those around us. It begins with the Holy Spirit doing some work in our inner being first and pointing out some things about our style choices. Like if you want the next uh, owner of this home, and make no mistake, if you give your life over to Christ, you are inviting in a new owner. That's why Paul writes, I have died and no longer live. The life I live is through faith in the Son of God. I deny myself, I pick up my cross daily, and I follow you. That's why it says he actually compares himself to a slave in the book of Romans. Like, I am your servant, your doulos in the Greek. I am yours. So as we're praying, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. That's a pretty big prayer to pray, isn't it? And what what Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus is he says the Holy Spirit wants to come in and say, I know you've got some stuff that are really important to you, that that you want to go to heaven when you die and you like me stopping by, but I just want to tell you uh, there's some incongruencies in here and the next owner isn't going to like it. I know you talk about, and and look, I told you I'm preaching, I'm preaching to myself because I realize it doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian, it is so easy to get comfortable 
I feel like the last three years the church planter is gone. I've had it easy, baby. We've moved into like the established church mode. And, and when we look at the New Testament, when Paul is writing all of his letters, particularly in this passage in the church to Ephesus, he says the Holy Spirit's got to come in and say, I know you're saying that you love Jesus, but you got this relationship in your life that you know is not honoring him. You, you've got this thing that you've been committed to doing that is taking up all of your time and energy, and it's not important to him. I know that the ottoman, the couch, and the chair, that all makes sense to you, but, but he's going to come in, and it is incongruent with his mission for your life. And if you wanted to come in and dwell fully and to make an impact with your life, we can talk about compassion all day. We can talk about no regrets like we did this summer. We can talk about it all day. But until you allow Jesus Christ to reorient your life, it won't matter. One of the hardest things for us to do is to pick up the Bible and believe that God's word is where we find our foundations for our life. We don't try and make it fit our life. We go, okay, how do I fit my life into what your desire is for me? That's not easy. That's hard. That's why most people in American church culture don't do it. We're preaching, man. And I'll tell you, I'm getting intense this morning and I, and I haven't apologized at all because I'm preaching to myself and I want us to learn as a church, we will never see the fruit we see in the early church unless we, unless we live in this way. If you're taking notes, how God wants you to be filled with love and compassion, if you really desire that, what he tells the church in Ephesus in verse 16 is the Holy Spirit is to prepare your inner being, your soul. He's going to bring some conviction into your life and say, I know you've got this addictive habit and I know you've been clicking on things online and you've got this lust in your life until you begin to acknowledge that. Jesus Jesus said, the Bible teaches there's now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. We get the free grace and mercy that we don't deserve forgiveness, but it takes us acknowledging it, turning it over to him. By the way, it's not just the addicts and the lust-filled people, right? Like we could pick on a number of people. It's the people in the room who perhaps would gossip behind other people's back. We wouldn't do that because we're Christians, but right? in some churches they do that. We, we wouldn't today, if we we're honest, it, it's for the people in that are just angry all the time. And everybody's against you. It's each of us in our failures to admit we need the crucifixion, the resurrection of Jesus, and the Holy Spirit's got to prepare some room for Jesus. Now, number two, if you're taking notes, we're going to move quick. Christ wants to dwell in you. You see, the word there in verse 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and I pray that you being rooted and established in love, that that word dwell in the Greek, it, it means to like come home to roost. Like live in your life. That's why the New Testament, Paul writes in other places that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. That's why it says uh, later on, do you get the full measure of God? The concept is that your life, your body is now a place where God wants to use you, not just so you can go to heaven when you die, but he wants to use you to demonstrate compassion to others. See, none of us are here today unless someone didn't give up their time, talents, and treasures to invest in your life. I know that's true for me. People who gave time to me that I did not deserve. When I was far from God and living a crazy lifestyle and wanted nothing to do with Jesus or the church or anything like that, someone chose to make time, love me, sacrifice their energy for me. And when you experience that type of compassion, it is compelling. But a lot of Christians, we stop there. 
If we allow Jesus to fully dwell in us, it's not like he's stopping by for a visit when we need him. He's fully coming into our lives. Have you ever gone by to somebody's house and you go to sit down on a couch and they have like 8,000 pillows? All of these are taken from one couch in our home. This is what my wife does to me, right? Isn't it true? And like you come over to the house and it's like you're coming over just to hang out for a few minutes and it's, it's kind of awkward, isn't it? Like you don't want, it's so pretty, you don't want to make a mess of it. So you try to figure out like, how do I sit down on this, right? <laughs> isn't that awkward? And this is what it's like when Jesus comes to dwell with some of us. He comes in and he's like, hey, I came to make a home here, to dwell here. How about making some room for me? Yeah, but I I got a career and I got things that are important to me and I really like having fun on the weekends and I got to live for that next romantic relationship and I got all this stuff, God, that's really important. If I don't, you just say, hey, chill out for a second. If you really want to be used by me to change your sphere of influence, we can talk about it, but it won't happen unless I come home to dwell. See, when he comes over, he's not stopping by for a quick chat. He wants to take some things. You're like, this is really important to me. Isn't that what he does? And then some of you, I could sense it already. This is going to make, you're going to get really worried here in a moment. He starts taking things in your life and he starts just messing everything up because he's not coming by to get awkwardly close to you. He wants to come home to roost. He's taking everything, not just some things in your life and he's making a mess of it because he wants to sit down on the throne of your life. And he's not just sticking around for a little chat. He's going to put his feet up He's going to stay a while and just say, hey, guys, it's great to hang out with you. I'm going to preach the next 30 minutes just like this. <laughs> That's the type of comfortability that he wants to have in your home, in you, in your inner being, in your soul. Now, if you look at this, some of you are just getting really anxious just looking at this, <laughs> right? This mess. And you're like, I don't know. That's how we often feel when God fully dwells in our lives. There was a woman at the 9 a.m. service who sat in the front row here. Her name's Teresa Lee. I've mentioned her a couple of times, but she was baptized at her second birthday bash in a horse trough at her old building. And she, she now uh, is on staff, but she originally just started volunteering with homeless people for Food for Souls in downtown Indianapolis, hanging out with people you wouldn't even talk to if you walked by them. And those are her friends now. Those are her family. And that's where she spends her time and her energy. Why does she do that? I'll tell you why. Because she's understood the compassion of Jesus and she wants to share that with others. She's not just going to have sacrifice and suffering for herself and receive it. She's going to go share it with and for others. She wants to sacrifice for others. And as Christ begins to make a, a mess of your life, other people around you are going to be like, what are you doing? that's crazy. What is wrong with you? You know, when I first uh, got involved in ministry, I have awesome parents. My dad is uh, a lawyer. My, uh, my, wi- or my wife, <laughs> there's some type of psychological thing going on there. <laughs> my mother, uh, <laughs> I'll never live that down, is a, 
high school guidance counselor. They both had tons of education. And my, my uh, sister, she's a, a doctor, teaches at the uh, Univ- IU uh, Doctoral School in Bloomington. My, my older brother got his MBA at Northwestern. He worked for Deloitte for years. And now he works for, as like a CFO of a hospital conglomeration. And like, I share that with you just to say my family is a family of planners, of people who see and like, let's achieve this next step. And they're amazing people. And, and I, you know, that's how I'm wired as well. And when I became a Christian and I started, instead of investing time in the things that I originally went to college for that would make good business financial sense, I started hanging out in a fraternity house leading Bible studies. And I started giving, uh, most people when they become a Christian, they, their, their grades go up because they, they stop partying all the time. But my grades actually went down because I, I didn't invest in school as much because I was living on mission fully until I got to seminary, at least, when I started studying things I really wanted to learn about. And I, I share that with you because as God began to grow my faith, my, I remember my dad one time looked at me and he goes, after the third summer that I had done ministry for a summer job, he goes, you know what? It's probably time you go start looking for like a real job. And my dad's awesome. He loves what I do now. But at the time, like it didn't make sense. And that's what happens when you start living for God in your life and really allowing him to completely reorient things. People, it doesn't make sense to them. When you see, we have people in our church family who could go and have the fanciest vacations in the world, live a lavish lifestyle, and they live in smaller homes than I do because they want to live on mission and give more away to help those in need and proclaim the kingdom of God. That happens when suffering for others, sacrificing for others is more important than it is for ourselves. It's the way of Jesus. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and being the Shema and love your neighbor as yourself. These are the two greatest commandments. God first, others second. I am third. Not because I'm not important, not because I'm not valued, but because I am valued and God wants to use me. That we could truly be the light in a very dark world that we all know and we all see. And Paul is testifying to this when he says Christ wants to come in and make a home in you to dwell in your hearts through faith. The truth is we all want Jesus to stop by for a visit. We want him to come by when we get the cancer diagnosis, when we have a relationship breakup, when we are hurting financially, Whatever crisis that we're centered with, the good news is he's that kind of compassionate God that wants to be there for you and welcomes you with open arms and he's not judging you. But what he really desires is not to just keep and stopping by for visits in your life. He wants to come home to dwell and live. And to do the second half of verse 17, to be rooted and established in his love that his desire for you is that the foundation, the primary identity of your life, it's why we ask people when they're baptized, is it your desire to make Jesus the primary identity of your life, that you, his foundation of your life is built on him, rooted and established in his love. And the enemy loves to teach you all kinds of lies, to get you distracted with all kinds of temptations in this world, whether it's the lust of the eyes or the flesh or the pride of life. He wants to come in and get you looking at everything that's unimportant. But if you allowed him in to dwell, he's going to reorient and redecorate. And it's not going to make sense to everyone, but you're going to have meaning and purpose that's not just going to last for your life here on earth, but last for eternity. And then how many things in your life, when we're talking about spiritually, I mean, let's be clear what we're talking about, that some people will spend eternity with God in heaven and some won't. 
How many things in your life can you truly say are life or death matters? And yet what we're discussing today is one of them. And he desires to break in, to allow him to reorient, to become rooted and established in his love. I'm going to ask the ushers to to come forward now. And uh, you've heard us talk about rooted. It's the number one way to get connected at our church. And if you've never been through rooted or you're new to Mercy Road, this is the number, the one thing we want you to do. If you've never been through, I just want to ask, like, politely, why not? Because I'm telling you, a lot of our outposts get started out of Rooted. It is a 10-week discipleship experience on Wednesday nights. Child care is provided. They kicked off last week. Pastor Luke told me they had a great kickoff. But we want everybody to go through this. And this is the last week you can sign up for the entire fall. And we don't know when we'll offer it again. You can't come after this Wednesday night if you miss it. So sign up, be there, and we may not offer this again until as late as after Easter, which is April 21st, which is super late. So please don't miss it. That said, if you get rooted in Christ and established in his love, his goal then is to empower you, but not just for yourself. Look at verse 18. He wants us to have power together, together, not alone, but together. Verse 18, that we may have power together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. That we only experience that when we do it together. And so if I could just ask, I know a lot of you, you're either brand new to our church or you've been attending for a while, but you've never really found community here. And I don't want to place that all on you. We want to get better and better and better at helping you meet some people here. Because wherever you're at spiritually, man, we just want to connect with you and help you grow and take next steps. The number one way is through Rooted. If you've already been through Rooted, we have a ton of outposts and we're starting a lot of new ones. If you've attended four or five outposts and you're like, I don't like those people, I don't want to go to those places anymore, it's okay. We don't care. We're not going to judge you. We'll help you start one that fits people you want to be hanging out with and do ministry together with. You must have community though. Because the truth is, as you battle the enemy that wants to attack you spiritually, you aren't meant to do it alone. Anybody watch WWE? Thank you for admitting it. Thank you. Yes, yes. Uh, I don't know if you know this. Rich Abbott does, but it's actually a, a fixed fight. Did you? I don't know if you knew that. Do you know that? That you already know who the winner is going to be. We think sometimes in our spiritual battles that we got to like will it harder. The truth is, there is no real battle between God and Satan, the enemy. He can't win. It's whether or not God is actually living in us, living out Ephesians 3 that we're studying here today, dwelling in us, empowering us. And that's why we need people around us because it's not just, uh, you know, a fixed fight. It's also a tag team event that you've got other people you can tag in to help you, to spur you on towards love and good deeds. As the book of Hebrews says, you're not meant to do it alone. And we want you to be an outpost. That's our long-term place of community on mission to get connected there to join that. And the truth is the church is meant to live together to empower us to live differently. That if we really believe that we have the good news that could change someone's eternal perspective and it's a life or death matter, what we do as a church matters. And it's going to take not just passion for the Lord, it's going to take compassion, willing to sacrifice for others. I got two easy ways. We've been talking about living with no regrets, demonstrating compassion. Here's two easy ways every single person here today could live this out, even if you're not a Christian. The next two weeks, we have designed everything for you to invite a friend that maybe needs to come check this out. 
And I'm telling you guys, you may make it, take it lightly inviting a friend to church. The stats say 80-some percent of people will actually show up. And I'm telling you, the next couple of weeks, we're going to tell them the good news of Jesus. It won't be so intense and feisty next weekend, but we're going to talk about the grace of Jesus Christ, and I don't want you to miss it. And we're going to have like a whole bunch of stuff out in the parking lot as we celebrate our seventh birthday bash, seven years that we have existed as a church. Yeah. And as it come without a lot of sacrifice and hardship, but seven years, we're going to celebrate. We're going to do two things. We're going to have a bunch of inflatables and stuff for the kids and high school students in the parking lot, even some carnival things. I think they said there was like a dunk tank. If you want to like dunk uh, Eric or Luke or some of the pastors, that's going to be happening. Uh, We do it because we want to celebrate. We only do this once a year. It's not a gimmick. We want to have fun. And we also want to make it easy for you to invite a friend to build community out in the parking lot. I think we might have like corn on the cob or fair type food or something. Uh, I'm not on the planning team if you figured that out yet. It's going to be an amazing time next week. And right after that, uh, we kick off a new teaching series called Sit With Me. And it's got a whole friends theme to it. The whole concept invites somebody to come and sit with you at church, but not so that they take up a chair. That's not the the mission of Jesus. It's so that we're going to talk about what it means to sit at the feet of Jesus. And we're going to study the Gospels, and it's basically going to be a series on Jesus. I think it'll be really powerful for those in your sphere of influence. Live with no regrets and compassion. Invite those in your sphere of influence. I believe eternities will be changed because of it. We will see people get baptized in 2019 because of what happens this fall. So to close out together, if you want to live with this kind of compassion in your life, you want to change your spiritual outlook, and you want to live with that type of compassion, we have to do the hardest part. Number four, you have to yield to his power. He's the one with the power. Look, look at verses 19 to 21. This is my favorite part of the whole passage. And then know this love that surpasses all knowledge. You can't even fathom how great God's love is for you and for those who don't even know him yet that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. That part where he says that we could do immeasurably more has just been sitting with me and some of our staff. They could do immeasurably more, but, but what will it take? It won't take our power. It will take his power. And I often say this, everything great that ever happened in our church is because God is real. I'll get, like we just had this consultant come in and work with us for kind of our next few years as we begin to start new churches, having a game plan for how each church will look, and we're really excited, and it's kind of like a year-long process we'll be living out, and and as we were doing that, you know, they come in and they wanted to ask, well, what have you done that really, you know, that, that's making things grow so much? And I, I looked at him just kind of dumbfounded. And I don't want to get like hyper spiritual, but I really believe this. It's because God is real. And he ministers to people long before you ever walk in these doors. His spirit has been trying to make room for him. And we get the opportunity to tell you who it is that's trying to speak to you. And as we've seen walls come down and lives change, it's transformed families. We've seen people in great addiction issues or sexual sins or whose marriages had completely dissolved and led to divorce who were redeemed and restored and got back together as couples. It's, it's because God still works. 
It's not, I mean, Eric is an amazing worship leader. Would you agree? But I don't believe that's it. I think Darren is an amazing communicator and we have a great team of preachers, but I don't think that's it. And if it is it, I don't want to be a part of a church like that because we are here to worship God because he's still real and he's living and active and still does what he did 2,000 years ago. We saw 50 people come to Christ at one Easter service. We've seen hundreds of people give their life to Christ this, just this year. We saw 32 students get baptized. We've planted almost eight churches over the last two years. Hope City Church is having their two-year birthday celebration next week as we celebrate seven years. Echo Church in Avon is celebrating one year this weekend. Two churches are launching in Westfield and and Plainfield that preached last weekend. They're launching next week on our birthday bash. The, The New Testament days are today. The problem is that too often for many of us as Christians, we live in this kind of comfortable Americanized Christianity where I want to go to heaven and I need a good church service for my family to attend. But the second you ask me to go from compassion for the Lord to compassion for others, I don't have the time. I don't have the money. I don't have the energy. I can't do it. Why is that? It, it has struck me from day one. Do you realize when I became a Christian, I didn't go to church for years. Because when I would go to the services, I was like, you guys, you, you sit up, you stand down, you sing the song, somebody talks at you, and, and then you leave, and it doesn't do anything. Your lives and the culture, they don't look any different from the other people. Our heart and our desire has been to yield to his power and authority Because if you go, man, well, 50 people gave their life to Christ at one Easter service because you gave a great sermon and you're a great evangelist, uh, you are dead wrong. And I have the assessment to prove it. But eight years ago, I was forced to go to a church planting assessment to determine whether my wife and I were fit to plant a church. They gave us a green light to plant the church, probably because they liked my wife, but we, well, we were going to plant it anyway, so we went ahead and we did it, but in one of the assessments was on evangelism. You know what grade I got on evangelism? Not an A, not a B, not even a D. I got a straight up F, baby, F. How bad of an evangelist does a pastor have to be to get an F? And yet we've seen these people give their life to Christ. Why? Because God is real. And we're not afraid to admit it and to ask you to change your life because of it. I told you it's going to get intense. But I just wanted to share as we get ready to start four churches and raise the funds to go out and start these churches. I, I want to tell you a few things about that. First of all, we have a Q&A right after this in the hub, which is the Brown Doors room. And if you can't make this one, come next week after the 1130 service. Also, email me, josh at mercyroad.cc. I will reorient my entire calendar around talking with you. Uh, that's serious about it. 
Uh, we want you to know that we're, we're raising $3 million to start four churches in four different directions, that, that the word compass is in compassion as true north becomes loving God first and others second and myself third, and we send people out in four directions to reach more people for Christ and one day give away 50% of the resources of all those locations and change the way church is done in some slight ways, and all of those will be Multiply Indiana churches a part of this greater network of churches that aren't with one particular denomination or network. But as we do that, we've had a lot of excitement for it. And people who hadn't been plugged in going, I want to get involved now. And some of them beginning to donate some things. And we even, we're we're not asking for funds yet because we've got the dinners coming up and we want you to wait to make a commitment. We want you to pray and fast for 40 days first. But we've already had $75,000 given to the campaign. And as we approach all of this stuff, I want you to know it's okay to ask questions. And we're an open book. And some of you have begun to ask some very good questions. And if if you don't like the responses and you don't like the vision, it's okay. We love you. You can even still be a part of this church and never give a dime to it. The leadership probably doesn't want me to say that, but it's cool. But I do want to encourage you and challenge you as a church that for us to accomplish this next step It will require Christ coming in and changing and reorienting not just our material possessions, but the way we invest our time and energy. It will. It will take great sacrifice. It will take great suffering and willingness to do it for someone else. That's the reality. And as my wife and I pray about that, we say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. What would you have me do? We have to go, okay, God, I want to serve you first and foremost. What what will it take? And if you're like, well, how do the decisions get made on this? You know, I actually, two months ago, thought for the last three years, we were going to be planting a campus in Fishers. That was my one goal. I've been talking to the operations team about it for three years. And why? Because as we saw when we did a worship event out on Geist a, a couple of weeks ago, we had 277 people come out there. Wasn't it awesome for those who were over there? And they're excited about it, and they want it to happen. And it made sense to me. And we're going to do that. But we began to realize it just didn't seem like us. It seemed pretty trendy to just go do that. And our leadership began to pray and ask big questions like, hey, God, what would you have us do? And that's when in a vision team meeting, this idea is Eric and Luke on the vision team, we began to discuss like, well, what if we went in these different directions that God had opened up the doors? Because everything good we have ever done didn't come from our planning, but reacting to what God was doing around us. And that is hard for me. The, the uncomfortability of all the clutter, it makes me nervous. I'm a planner. I told you about my family. The first time I ever went on a date with my wife, she's actually at the service, I, I, I planned five dates into one because I thought this was my one chance. We went, fellas, put yourselves to shame. We went horseback riding in the morning. We went to the beach in the late morning and and lunchtime. And then we went to a fancy steak dinner before we went out to a Broadway show in the prestigious Pantages Theater. And then we capped it off with dessert at Bob's Big Boy and Ice Cream Sundays in Burbank, California. Because I know that planning makes a difference. And so in this season of our church... It has been more uncomfortable for me, I think, than some of our other leaders because you know what would have made my life way easier? Way easier? 
is if we would have just said, hey, guys, our next step for growth, I don't know if you realize this, like they tell you 85% in the service, it's hard to find seats, and so you begin to cap out the number of people who will come, hurts you with parking, all this kind of stuff. We did that at 1015 and 1130. We passed that like 80 to 85% like a year ago. And the, the percentages that every expert will tell you at the other two services are about what you would expect to capped out. And we might be able to reach a little bit more here. And if we, we blew out the walls there, and by the way, if any of you come to the 9 a.m. service or Saturday at 5, Jesus will love you more. But I'll tell you, we, we could do those sorts of things. And we looked into investing a lot of money here and we could reach about 300, maybe 400 more. And that's it. And then we'd invest all that money. The city probably wouldn't approve it because we don't own enough parking spots. So then we'd have to talk about, well, what would we do about that? And we, we could purchase the building out there, but it would be over $2 million for a building that's a third the size of this space. And so there was a bunch of financial decisions that went into this guy. What's our next step? We've been praying about it for years. And then when this hit us, it resonated that this would look like what it looks like to live for others rather than ourselves. Because I don't know if you've caught the vision yet. I want to make it really clear. We're breaking up the band. Not this band. This band. At our four weekend services. Because over the last two years, we have partnered on uh, seven or eight church plants, and we've continued to grow. Because not enough of you are leaving. And so we're going to force you to. Because we're not going to become another consumeristic driven church. I would make my life way easier to preach to 3,000 people every weekend and build a church around my personality and around Eric. And if you wonder why I only preach about two or three times a month, that's why we've been doing that for seven years and we won't stop. Because we're not worshiping a person, we're worshiping God Almighty. And he wants to use you and I. And so as we close out our time together, I don't know what God is doing in your life right now, but I would just ask you over the next 12 days that we have to pray, and then we're going to break this fast. If you haven't started, you can still start on September 22nd. That's Saturday night, 5 p.m. We're having an all-church worship service and pizza and ice cream afterwards, and then we'll have our regular Sunday morning services that weekend. But as we go through this time of praying and fasting, we ask, Lord, what would you have me do? He may move you towards compassion to go. You need to start talking to your coworkers about Jesus. You need to go across the street and stop waving as you walk away from your neighbor and start walking towards them. You may need to go down with your greatest disciples and pray with your kids at night. You may need to start talking and loving your roommate even when it's hard. It may take you reorienting your whole life and go, I'm going to be a part of one of these new adventures as we send out in four directions and we send uh, hundreds of people west and hundreds of people east and people downtown eventually and people up in the Anderson area of Indiana. Like it's going to take us willing to care more about others than ourselves. It's going to go, I know you've attended church with some great friends over the last seven years and you can't imagine doing life without them and you want to come and see them on the weekend, and you want to see the same faces, but we would not be here today if we lived like that. I don't want to forget this. See, some of you think that we got into this building today because we were a church plant that needed a building, and we found this building, and then we went and raised money to purchase this property. That's not what we did. We were a three-year-old church running out of space, and we decided that we needed to raise funds to start a campaign to find a building. And we were told by an expert that we could only raise $250,000. 
we t- went and did research. We realized we could never make a down payment on a facility. So we told the church at three years old as a church, we're going to need 700000 over the next two years. And we had no building in mind. We raised commitments for $700,000 without a building in mind. And then we found this property and we said, oh, by the way, we told you you could have two years to, to help us raise the funds. We need to do it in two months. And you know what happened next? We raised $400,000 in two months and then some families in the church lent an additional $300,000 borrowed against their homes to do it. That's insane, bad math, and poor stewardship. Right? It is. But you know what happened from that? This great leap of faith? We saw a bunch of people come to Christ. We ended up purchasing this property. Rather than paying those families back in two years, we did it in less than a year, maybe even six months. And then we refinanced this facility, locked in a rate at 3.89% on a 10-year loan, and we've been paying it off at the 10-year rate, paying against the principal, and the building will be paid off completely in eight years. And all of that started from a three-year-old church plant living in that way. Look, I don't know how all of this is going to turn out for our church. I don't know what your role is in it. I can't dictate that. I can't even tell you it's going to be successful. What I can tell you is I believe with everything in my soul, if we do everything to help this vision actually occur, we'll see a ton of people come to Christ. And we'll see new leadership rise up and change the world. And rather than just multiplying from one space out, we'll be multiplying from five spaces out. And the one thing that drives all of my heart in decision-making in the church, and I believe is our calling, my calling at least as a pastor, is that big poster, the fourth one on the wall in the hobby, not the hobby, the lobby, confusing but right out there it says we want to reach a million people for Christ that's not going to happen by building a bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger church it's not going to happen from me it's not going to happen from Eric it's not going to happen from our current leadership it's going to happen from everybody in the church getting greater compassion for others than they do for themselves getting out of this space not just being seat dwellers but Christ indwellers And to say, I am fully yours, reorient everything in my life for you. We pray with me as we close out our time together. God, we love you. I thank you for the faithfulness of people that have challenged me in this room and through these four weekend services. I thank you for those who are attending online, God. And we just pray, Lord Jesus, that we're just trying to do our best. And in this season, may you take away anything that's not of you and anything that is of you, may you make it happen fully. May we get behind the vision to have greater compassion for those who are far from you, that we would be willing to sacrifice and suffer for others more than we do for ourselves, that we'd let you come in and dwell and reorient our entire life around you rather than ourselves. And so, God, there may be somebody here who hasn't given their life over to you yet, or there may be somebody here who's known about you for decades and maybe even going to heaven, but they've never let you completely dwell in their life. If that's you, I'm going to invite you just with every eye closed. I didn't do this at the other services. I want you to get down on your knees for a second. If that's you, every eye closed, and I'm not going to make you do anything, but I just, I want you to do something just as an act of submission, like Paul began his prayer with that he kneeled before his heavenly father because he's admitting he doesn't want control anymore. God, we come before you surrendering everything in our church to you, surrendering everything in our lives to you. 
And God, for those who want to surrender their life to you, may you pray this with me silently as I pray it out loud. God, I confess I am not perfect. Forgive me for my wrongdoing. I believe and receive your grace and forgiveness. And I do this beautiful act called repentance. And I repent of anything that's not of you. Reorient my life completely. I surrender everything to your Lordship. God, we love you. We give you our church. We give you our lives. We give you everything. We pray this in Jesus' name and all God's family said, amen.